<laughs> I think I heard that. Uh, I'd just like to welcome everyone who's joining us for our live stream here. We're gathered here today at the Chelsea Community Church. It's Chelsea Community Church and City Temple. And if you'd like to join us for our whole service via Zoom, uh, just drop us uh, an email at info uh, at city-temple.com uh, and we will love to send you the Zoom details. Uh, also, uh, if you'd like to join us in person, you can come on Sunday mornings at 11 a.m. here at Chelsea Community Church, Edith Grove, uh, SW10LB. So if you have your Bible with you today, uh, let's go to Luke chapter 24. Luke chapter 24. And we'll read down to verse 12. Before we read, let's pray. Gracious God, thank you so much for your word. I thank you that it is trustworthy and true. And I pray, Father, that by your Holy Spirit, you would open up our hearts and deposit your word into us. And I pray, Father God, that your Holy Spirit will rest on me, that I can bring your word to your people this day, boldly and faithfully, through Jesus Christ our Lord. We love you and we praise you. And we thank you for this time. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified on the third, and on the third day rise. And they remembered his words. And returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary, the mother of James, and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. But these words seemed to them an idle tale, and they did not believe them. But Peter rose and ran to the tomb, stooping and looking in. He saw the linen cloths by themselves, and he went home marveling at what had happened. May God bless to us this reading from his holy word. Amen. You know, when I was a kid growing up, neither of my parents uh, went to school beyond the age of 12. And so they always made it uh, their passion for me uh, to go to university and to get a good education. And, uh, and we all know that there's a foundation of a good education. And I had a great education. Uh, I've got a, a doctorate, you know. And so we all know the foundation of the good education. This is what I was taught, you know, even as I was growing up. You know, three things. In fact, it's easy to remember the foundation of a good education because uh, we call it the three R's. You know, the foundation of a good education is, first R, is reading. Second R is writing. And the third R is arithmetic. 
or maths, as we say here. <laughs> reading, writing, and arithmetic. And you got reading, writing, and arithmetic together, you got a good education, right? You got a solid foundation. Well, I got thinking about that because I want to talk about three Christian R's, but it's not reading, writing, and arithmetic. In fact, it's not really stuff that we do as Christians, but three foundational things that God does for us frequently in our lives. And three R's that we need to understand, especially because I believe that God is going to move in these three R's in this coming year. I think we're going to see God do all three of these R's. And God does this by the power of His Holy Spirit. And God will do this according to His grace and mercy. Not because we deserve it, not because we earn it, but because that's just the kind of God that God is. But we need to be looking for these three R's and we need to prepare ourselves to receive these three R's when God moves in this church uh, and in our lives. The first of the three R's is the word restoration. Restoration. God gives us an assurance. God is going to return both people and good things to us. That's what restoration is all about. Returning to us something that perhaps was lost. Returning to us. God does that. In His Word, in Joel chapter 2, He says, I will restore to you the years that the swarming locust has eaten, the hopper, the destroyer, and the cutter, my great army, which I sent among you. God is a God who restores what the locusts eat out of our lives. What busyness and all this other stuff that we face can eat, eat out of our lives. And we all need restoration. We need to experience it. We need to be praying for it because loss is the usual consequence of living for Jesus in this world. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you're going to lose stuff. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, the world is going to want to take things away from you. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you will experience loss. And this is what Peter said here in Mark chapter 10. He said, Jesus, see, we have left everything and followed you. They'd lost everything. They'd left everything aside. And what did Jesus say? Truly I say to you, there is none who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions. Oh, we love that part, don't we? <laughs> persecutions. Uh, and in the age to come, eternal life. But many who are first, will be the last. But God is a restoring God. And God acts for His people to bring restoration. I've been very encouraged. I've had three different spiritual sons of mine in the last uh, six weeks or so uh, contact me again to repent or reconnect. It's been amazing. Just out of the blue. And by the way, uh, uh, for those of you who don't, don't know, if something happens one time, it just happens, right? 
If it happens twice, it can be a coincidence. If it happens three times, it's a pattern. And so God's going to be doing this. But you've got to keep in mind this, that God won't restore that which you did not have in the first place. You can't say, God, restore my faith to me if you never had faith. You can't say, God, restore my spiritual kids to me if you never had spiritual children. You can't say, God, restore the resources that I had that I sacrificed or expended for your glory if you've never sacrificed or expended your resources for God's glory. God won't restore what you didn't have in the first place. God also won't restore that which has not been lost or stolen because of your obedience to God. You know, a lot of times we have stuff that we lose just because of our foolishness. And we can ask God to restore that, and sometimes he does, but there's no promise of that. We also can't expect that God would restore, God won't restore that which God has removed because of your disobedience, unless you truly repent. In the Joel passage, he's talking about a time when God's people had repented. And he says, now I'm going to restore what the locusts have eaten. And if you don't receive restoration right away, because I know sometimes people have been praying for it. Uh, there are relationships that I've lost that I'm praying for a restoration. There's one in particular. I feel like God has promised me that there will be a restoration before this person goes to be with the Lord. And I'm still waiting on that. I'm still praying. It can happen. But if we don't receive restoration, we need to consider, one, sometimes we hold on to things so tightly and protect ourselves so fiercely that we'll never experience restoration. You have to be open to the Lord for God to restore. Some people refuse to acknowledge that anything has been lost or stolen. Gosh, how many times are we talking to our brothers and sisters and cry, how are you doing? Oh, I'm fine. There's no problems. I'm not suffering at all. You know, don't worry about me. You don't need to pray for me. That's foolishness. That's foolishness. If you don't acknowledge what's happened, you can't get restoration for it. Some people refuse to acknowledge their sin and their brokenness. So they deny they need restoration. Well, I'm okay. They walk around in pride. And some people have given away to the enemy. And so they don't experience restoration. But God's promise is, God's promise is that we're entering a season where he's going to do some restoration. And I believe it. Now there's a second R. The second R is a word that we love to use a lot, but we often don't really know what it's all about. And that's revival. You know, we like to talk about revival. For a lot of people, revival is nothing more than a bunch of good feelings after a meeting. Oh, that was a great revival. I feel so good. But you know, uh, you can go to a club and dance around a lot and feel that kind of revival. It doesn't have to involve Jesus. What we're talking about is a revival that really, really involves Jesus Christ. And revival happens when God makes alive that which was diminished or has died. Revival is making alive 
That which has gone down or that which has died. As the scripture says, Psalm 71, your righteousness, O God, reaches the high heavens. You who have done great things, O God, who is like you? You have made me see, you who have made me see many troubles and calamities will revive me again. From the depths of the earth, you will bring me up again. You will increase my greatness and comfort me again. And then again in Hosea, come, let us return to the Lord for he has torn us that he may heal us. He has struck us down and he will bind us up. After two days, he will revive us. On the third day, he will raise us up. By the way, that's a prophecy primarily about Jesus, but it's also a word about what God will do for his people. That we may live before him. Let us know, let us press on to know the Lord. His going out is as sure as the dawn. He will come to us as the showers, as the spring rains that water the earth. This is what revival is all about. God coming into his people and making alive that which has died, making restored alive that which has been diminished. And we need revival. We need revival because death and diminishment is the usual consequence of living in this world. You know, I know some people that say, oh, Christians, that you can live in a state of constant revival. I'm not sure I've ever met one that does. Uh, And that's because if you're alive in this world, we experience death all the time. You know, every time somebody honks at me and maybe gives me a couple fingers in the air, that diminishes me, that kills me a little bit. Every time somebody just ignores that we're a human being, maybe ignores us because, uh, because we're a woman, or ignores us because of our ethnic background, where we're from. That kills us. That diminishes us. That's a death in this world. And we're exposed to this all the time. And because of that, over time, it just takes it out of us and it drains it away. And so we need revival. We need to call out and say, God, I need revival. It happens with churches. When we go about the motions of being church, golly, be in church uh, in our society today. Uh, you know, I, I'm glad that I had all these seminary courses in major reconstruction projects and in health and safety and in safeguarding. And in, I didn't have any courses in those things. No minister does. And yet we're all dealing with this stuff all the time. Rule after rule after rule, regulation after regulation. It just crushes us down. We need revival. We need revival. But we need to keep in mind. We need to keep in mind that God won't revive that which wasn't alive in the first place. God won't revive that which wasn't alive in the first place. And God also won't revive that which is better off dead. There are a lot of churches that won't experience revival because God doesn't want to bring them back. God would rather they die. Thank God Chelsea Community Church is not one of those. But that happens. God won't revive that which is better off dead. God brings revival also on his own terms and in his own timing. You can't make demands on God. So when we haven't received revival, when we don't receive revival, uh, we need to press on to know the Lord. 
Because if we don't press on to know the Lord, as Hosea said, we won't experience revival. We may not receive revival if we allow ourselves to be offended by all the troubles and difficulties that we have, especially offended with God. Notice what the psalmist said. Oh God, you have made me see many troubles and calamities. And that's true of anybody who follows Jesus. You're going to see a lot of it. But God will revive you again. That's the promise. That's the promise. And if we don't ask God for it, we might never experience it. Psalm 85, 6 says, Will you not revive us again, that your people may rejoice in you? Habakkuk 3, 2, O Lord, I have heard the report of you and your work. O Lord, I do fear you. In the midst of the years, revive your work. In the midst of the years, make it known. In wrath, remember mercy. So God's going to move in restoration. God's going to move in revival. And third, God's going to move in resurrection. That's our third R, resurrection. Now God's assurance is that God is going to give us resurrection life through Jesus. And not only is God going to give it to us as we come to faith in Jesus Christ, but God will continue to give us resurrection life in Jesus Christ. Jesus said to, the, to Mary, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. That's God's promise. And this resurrection life is what enlivens us and empowers us to live as Christians. And we need resurrection. We need resurrection because crucifixion is the requirement for following Jesus in this world. We need resurrection because we are all called to take up our cross to follow Jesus. We are all called to lay our lives down in following Jesus. As he said in Luke 9, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. Now keep in mind here, God won't resurrect that which has not been crucified. If you've been holding back your life, if you've not fully surrendered your life to Jesus Christ, don't expect to be filled with the resurrection power of Jesus. Our posture before the Lord is, Jesus, you died on the cross. I give my life to you fully because you bought it there. I surrender myself to you fully and I allow myself to be crucified with you. And God will always, the other thing to keep in mind, God will always resurrect something in a different form than was crucified. It means that once you're crucified, when God fills you with his resurrection power, you're going to be different. You're going to change. And change is going to be a constant state in your life. As Paul said in Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. So what happens 
I mean, there are times, come on, let's be honest. There are times for me, maybe you all are different because you're super Christians. There are times when I'm just so out of energy, I just want to roll over and die. There are times when just the burden of caring so much gets so big. And I'm like, Karen, come pick me up. And she's like, no, I'm on the ground too, you know. And we need, we need the resurrection life. And we need to be filled and refilled and refilled and refilled. And you might say, well, why do you have to be filled and filled and refilled? Because we leak. We all leak. And so we need to be filled with that resurrection life. So what happens when you're in that moment and you're so exhausted and you think I can't go on and you want to quit and you want to give up? You know, what happens when we're not receiving that resurrection life? Remember, it might be Friday for you, but Sunday's coming. It might be the day of the crucifixion, but there's a resurrection. And it's just around the corner. Keep hanging yourself on the cross and dying to yourself. It hurts, I know. But don't take yourself off the cross. Allow your life, yourself to be crucified, all those desires and things, and keep believing. Don't stop having faith because Jesus Christ really has risen from the dead. And the promise again from Paul in Romans 6, for if we have been united with Jesus in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. And that's our promise. And I believe the Lord is saying to us, to all who have gathered here and many others across this uh, London in this coming year, God is saying, quote, I'm going to restore what the locusts have eaten, revive my church, and fill my people with resurrection life. But my people must prepare themselves. It's by God's grace, but we still need to get ready. I know if, if, if somebody said, Rod, I'm going to give you a million pounds in uh, one pound coins, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to buy a bunch of buckets because I don't want to lose any of it. I didn't earn the money, but God gives it to me by his grace. So how do we respond to God's grace? What do we do? We need to position ourselves to receive restoration, revival, and resurrection from the Lord. And we need to position ourselves individually as well as corporately because we don't receive these things just ourselves. We receive it as part of God's people. So what do we do? First, we need to repent. Repent your sin. Turn away from your sin. Now, one of the challenges we all face is we all have hidden sins are sins we don't like to expose. So it's easy for us to repent from some sins and not from the others. And we tend to go, here, God, here's my sin. I'm repenting of this sin. And God says, well, that's nice, but I want the sin behind your back. So you got to come and say, Lord, my life is open to you. And by the way, sometimes you just need a brother or sister in Christ to tell you, which means you probably got to ask them because unless you're married to them, they probably won't tell you. And even then, they may not. 
So the second thing, second thing, we have to repent our sin. And repenting, by the way, means confessing your sin and turning away from it. If you don't confess that your sin is sin, you've not repented. You've just tried to excuse it. Yeah, I know I know, I didn't do the right thing, but Jovan made me do it. That's not repentance. That's excusing. That's excusing. Second thing, we need to release our self-centered hopes and dreams. Now, we all have hopes and dreams. God, that's okay. But you know, a lot of times we're so focused on ourselves, what we want, that we don't think about others, we don't think about the big picture. And if we want to receive restoration, revival, or resurrection life, we need to release to, re, to release our self-centered hopes and dreams. And say, God, you put new hopes and dreams in me. I'm releasing those because I want restoration, revival, and resurrection life. Third thing, we need to relinquish our rights and take up our responsibilities. I mean, in this country, we are so focused on our rights. No, it's all about what's been done to me. It's all about how I've been harmed. It's all about what the government should do for me, what the government hasn't done for me. And we need to let that go and start talking to God and say, God, you know, you are our defender. You are the one who carries our rights. Help us to pick up our responsibilities and do what you've called us to do. Then we need to relish who we are in Christ as an adopted child of God. You know, frankly, most of us don't realize if you're a Christian, you're a saint. You know that. That's what the Bible calls you, a holy one. A holy one. You don't even have to get the Pope's approval to be a saint, biblically. You're a saint. You're a holy one. Uh, you are a son of God. Women get offended by that. But I say, listen, I'm the bride of Christ, so you can be a son of God. There's a theological statement there. This is true for us. And we need to relish this truth. We spend so much time, oh, I'm not very good. I don't do this very well. I'm not a good Christian. I don't pray enough. I don't read the Bible enough. I don't exercise enough. I don't uh, eat enough ice cream. I, no, you don't say, normally say that. I'm just trying to make sure you're paying attention. But we need to relish who we are in Christ. And, and I think probably foremost amongst this list, I said you got to repent, release, relinquish, relish, finally reaffirm your faith that Jesus Christ has risen from the dead. Christ is risen. He's risen indeed. But in fact, Paul says, 1 Corinthians 15, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so in, also in Christ shall all be made alive. This is the reality. This is the cornerstone of our faith. You know, we, we get caught up as Christians a lot because we, we have all these discussions, you know, are angels white or blue? You know, or, or we get 
uh, what about God's providence versus our free will? And we'll get caught up on that, and then we'll, we'll say, oh, well, you know, you can't be a Christian because you err too much on free will side. And others say, well, you're just a Pharisee because you err too much on the providence side. And all this stuff, and we just argue and, and things. And, and some of that's okay. I'm not against those discussions. And certainly we have differences of opinion on some of those things. But the one thing that every true Christian agrees with throughout all time and throughout every place in every time uh, across the world and throughout eternity, the one thing that we know, the one thing that is true, and it's not an opinion. It's not my idea. It's not my thinking. It's not wishful thinking. It's not hopeful believing. It is a historical fact that is clearly established for anybody who has eyes to see the one thing that is the solid foundation of our faith as Christians is that Jesus Christ has risen bodily from the grave. Christ is risen. And that is true. But that is troubling because it means you have to make a choice. You can't sit on the fence. You cannot say, well, okay, those who follow uh, Islam, you know, they can do it their way, and, and the Hindus can do it their way, and others can do it their way. No. Because Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to God the Father except through me. How do we believe that? Because Jesus Christ rose from the dead. Jesus Christ has risen indeed. And that's our foundation. And so the question is, the question is for all of us today, not only do you want to receive restoration, revival, and resurrection life, but do you also want to receive Jesus? Because the only way is Jesus' way. It's not my way. It's not my opinion. The only way is Jesus' way. And he says, everyone who wants to go my way, follow me. Repent and believe the good news. Surrender your life and follow. Today is the day to make that decision. If you've never decided to surrender your life to Jesus, I encourage you to do it right now. Just in your own words, in your own heart. Lord Jesus, I, I give my life to you for all you've done for me. I accept that you died on the cross and rose bodily from the grave on the third day. Fill me with your spirit and let me follow you. And if you've been a Christian, maybe you're worn down and maybe you're ready to give up. You say, Jesus, I'm worn down and ready to give up but I give up my life to you once again. It is yours, and I will follow you. And maybe you're one of those Christians that make the rest of us sick sometimes. You say, I go from glory to glory. Hallelujah, praise Jesus. There's nothing wrong, nothing bad in my life. Now, if you're one of those Christians, bless you. Uh, but even if you're one of those Christians, it's time for you to say, Jesus, my life is yours again.
completely, 100%, right here, right now. Because Jesus Christ has risen from the dead. And that means everything. And that is the pathway, the way we receive all of God's benefits, including restoration, revival, and resurrection life. Let's pray. Gracious God, we love you. We honor you. We worship you. We adore you. We thank you for all that you've done in us through your son, Jesus Christ. Lord, as we come to you today yet again, we surrender our lives to you. We offer up not only our lives individually, but our life corporately. Whatever church we're a part of, whether it be Fulham or Chelsea Community or City Temple, corporately we offer ourselves up to you. We belong to you. And we know this gospel is true. We have a confidence in the reality because Jesus Christ has risen from the dead. Send us forth from this place, Lord God, today with that confidence. For we love you and we worship you. We praise you and we adore you. And we pray all this through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Amen. Now we're going to stand and join together. In